You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio with just a little bit of politics. Listen along as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today, where you'll learn valuable tips and tricks to make you a more successful hunter, shooter and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio. It's a pleasure to have everyone back with us for episode 35. And on today's show, it's advanced bow hunting with Adam Greentree. What I wanted to do actually for this two months, we did have Mick Watts uh, doing beginner bow hunting last month for episode 34. So what I wanted to do was keep that trend going and do like an advanced bow hunting to extend on what Mick said during episode 34. So it was a pleasure to have uh, Adam Greentree on the show. And some people said to me at first, well, who's Adam Greentree? What's, what's he all about? So I did jump on his Facebook page, and I'll put a link in the description on the show notes on the website, and you can go over to his Facebook page. And I tell you what, Adam's got it sorted out. He's got a fully decked out Hilux. Uh, he even hunts on a giant mountain bike uh, to get around in the field. And if you look on some of the things that he's got there, some of his photos, uh, he's, I tell you what, he's got some awesome trophies. And I thought it would be excellent to get Adam on the show to come on. Uh, he talks about bows, broadheads, uh, you know, camouflage, you name it, he talks about it. And I had a great time talking to Adam. He definitely knows what he's talking about. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. So uh, check it out in the next few minutes. But what I wanted to talk about, um, a big one that's come up over the last couple of days, was the uh, United States gun laws regarding background checks and magazine clip limits. Uh, it was defeated in the Senate, um, even part of Barack Obama's uh, administration even voted against the uh, extension of background checks and magazine clip limits. And uh, the funny thing is, I go on a few forums and a lot of people on there have mixed feelings about whether this is good or bad. Now, I want to sort of give you a bit of my idea on what I think about it now. Uh, I guess in 1996, you know, when uh, Martin Bryant shot a lot of people down in Port Arthur, they all, uh, all the antis come out and said, well, you know, you can still have your firearms. We're just going to take the pumps. We're just going to take the semi-automatics. You don't really need them. It's, it's, it's not going to affect your hunting. You're still going to be able to shoot clay targets. You're still going to be able to shoot pistols. What are you worried about? Okay, then in 2000, I think it was 2003, uh, the RMIT shooting. So then they started taking off us uh, anything above 38 calibre. There was another buyback from the 96 buyback. And I said that was the 2003 buyback of anything over 38 caliber, which you can't own uh, unless you have a high caliber permit uh, in New South Wales. Now, since then to probably 2012, we've had a bungle of registries, you know, police going to people's houses, not being able to find uh, firearms that are on the system that people have got that, that, that they legitimately uh, purchased. Uh, basically, to get a license has become a nightmare. It's a bureaucratic uh, administration uh, bungle, to say the least. Then we include that with the New South Wales, especially with the 2012 uh, ammo bill, which yeah, we all know is going to do absolutely nothing for crime. I went to my local clay target range the other day on uh, Saturday and Sunday. I went both days, and I had to I had to get the lady at the office there. She's got to fill this out. It was my address, how many uh, packets uh, of shotgun shells I purchased, and I thought, well, what's this solving? What's stopping the average person from just running around the corner and selling it to someone else? And she said, nothing. Just, it's just what they want. And so <laughs> this is the whole thing about it. And then I also find out, again, on the board at the Clay Target range, if you want to buy a firearm now with the permits to acquire, 
before I even submit it, now I need a permit, sorry, a serial number, the type of gun before I even put it in. None of this just ticking, you know, B1 or B2 for a centerfire or, you know, A3, whatever it is for shotgun. And then now it needs a reason for every purchase I purchase. Now, getting back to the American gun laws, people say, well, yes, we do want to extend, extend background checks for criminals and keeping firearms out of criminals' hands and people with mental illness. And when I say mental illness, what I want to say is the psychotics out there, the people that are jaded with life, that are hell-bent on just killing innocent people. I'm not talking about, uh, I've got a lot of time, I've got a few friends that have gone through mental health issues, and they're some of the most fabulous, kind-hearted people you will ever meet. You know, Some people lose their jobs, relationships break down, uh, and people go through hard times in their life. These aren't the people that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ones that are uh, are crazy and are hell-bent on c- just committing these atrocities uh, all across the world, whether it be Australia, whether it be the USA. We need to keep the firearms out of those people here, not the average person that goes through a bit of a hard time in their life. I don't think they're the issue. It's the psychos we need to worry about. But basically, the US and, and people have come to say, say, well, what about Australia? You should be more like Australia. Australia did this. But look... This is why the Americans are totally against it. I'm actually with the Americans on this one. I think they've done a fantastic move because when you take away people's rights, as as Robert Borzak said on uh, one of the Steve Lee videos on YouTube, it's the death of a thousand cuts. Now, we said the same thing in 96. We're just going to take the semis and the pumps and look at all the things I just read out to you. And there's much more than that. Now I've got to prove this. Now I've got to give a reason for that. Administrative paperwork. This is why the Americans simply just don't want it. And I know there's a few Americans that listen to my show because I get a few emails. And kudos to you guys. Kudos to the Americans that fought this through their NRA memberships, that fought it by uh, emailing and sending letters into their senators. Congratulations, because this is what inevitably will happen to your country, exactly what happened to ours. They say they want to extend background checks. Then they say, oh, it's not going to turn into registration. <laughs> yeah, that's what our country said too. Then they also said, we're not going to be doing this, then we're not going to be doing that, and then boom, ammo laws. It's just good on you guys for fighting it and fighting it hard. You absolutely deserve uh, a pat on the back because this is just the start of what Barack Obama wants to do. It will never end, and uh, he'll start with this, then he'll jump onto the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and eventually you'll be like us here in Australia where you basically get told what you can have, uh, when you can have it, and uh, you'll be having to fill out all these forms, put reasons, putting serial numbers. That's not the way you want to go, and again, kudos to all the Americans that fought it. You've done a fantastic job. I do say we need to keep um, firearms out of criminal hands and people with severe mental health and crazy psychotic tendencies. These are the people, but meaningful change needs to happen, not just the simple, oh, let's just, add, let's just put this in, let's just put that, and then there's something else, then there's something else. Because eventually what will happen, you'll turn out like us, and trust me, you don't want that. So I agree, good on the Americans for doing the hard yards because this is where it's starting. This is what the people don't understand about the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment was there to stop... What is happening right now, which is Barack Obama trying to flex his political muscle on gun laws, and this is why it was written, to stop people like Barack Obama doing exactly what they're trying to do now, and congratulations. But anyway, I don't want to go much on that. Coming up on the Australian Hunting Podcast, we've got plenty. We've got Jason Spencer from Hunt, Catch, Cook coming up. I was going to do him this month, but I considered I would stay with the trend of bow hunting and go straight into the advanced bow hunting with Adam Greentree. But Jason's coming on the show uh, in, a, in a month or so to talk to us about game cooking. I've also got Dave Fent from Aussie Hunting Adventures TV series coming on the show to talk about the upcoming show at the end of the year. 
And a good one I've got to bring to you guys, which I'm pretty excited about. I do follow, as I said, the uh, New Zealand and Canadian firearms registries and what they do and their firearms laws quite quite considerably. I like to you know see what's happening in other countries. And there was a person called Solomon Friedman. He's a lawyer from Canada who advocates for firearms ownership and the abolishment of the Canadian firearms registry. And he's on a fair few YouTube videos. You can look him up, Solomon Friedman. And he's uh, quite, quite an you know, interesting guy talking about firearms laws. And I thought to myself, I need to get someone here. And I had an idea about maybe getting someone on the show to talk about firearms laws. But I didn't know who, what, where, or when. And then literally out of that, that was like three months ago. Then out of the blue, I get an email from Shooters Party founder John Tingle yesterday, of the Shooters and Fishers Party, uh, saying he's got someone that wants to, you know, he was mentioning me to a certain person, a lawyer. I won't mention their name yet. Um, and he's happy to come on the show. So I rang him last night. And we had about a 20-minute chat about, you know, firearms laws and your rights to firearms ownership. So I'm actually going to get this person to come on the show. And this is probably going to be a regular spot on the show. First off, I'm just going to do an episode. But then I'm going to come back with a regular spot to uh, discuss firearms laws. So any questions you have, please jump on the uh, Facebook page and list your questions. I did put a status there uh, about uh, this particular show and to list your questions. This includes, you know, uh, safe storage, uh, transit of firearms, you name it. I think he's going to go through some generalized stories that he's dealt with over the last couple of years about cases that he may have won and uh, your rights to legal firearm ownership in Australia. Apparently, he comes really, really highly regarded, and he's close to have won 100% of his, uh, uh, when, he, when he's been directed to uh, work on behalf of uh, a client, he's got a, he's got 100% strike rate almost, so that's pretty good, and someone that absolutely knows firearms law, so I just uh, crazy that John just messaged me out of the blue and told me about it, and uh, we're going to organise that over the next coming months, so please jump on either Twitter or the Facebook page, and please list your questions because we certainly need them. This is going to be a fantastic ongoing uh, ongoing uh, uh, spot on the show, so hopefully look forward to that. Again, we've got the election coming up. Of course, you want to vote for the Shooters and Fishers Party. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I don't want to go into this again. I know this is going to be a long intro, but if I saw the Greens the other day, Kate Fairman, Sarah Hanson-Young, uh, talking about gay marriage. I don't want to get into the, you know, the in and outs and politics of gay marriage in Australia, but they were saying there how... Uh, we need to be like New Zealand. We need to, you know, be foregoing, and we need to uh, add uh, and, and go the same way and have gay marriage in uh, same-sex marriage in Australia. Now, I actually uh, tweeted her and said, "Well, hang on, you're talking about people's rights here." And then my main point about this, what I wanted to say was, you know, if they're if they're with uh, same-sex marriage, which you know, people say, "What's your opinion on it?" I don't really care. I think we've moved forward in the, this day and age, twentieth century. It doesn't really bother me if they want to get married, all the power to them. It doesn't affect me in any way. And me being a firearms owner, I should be supporting people's rights um, and not trying to ban everything. Because every time the, the Greens are in the media, it's banned something. They're always calling for a ban on something. So I actually tweeted uh, Kate Fairman and said, well, if you're agreeing with people's rights to same-sex marriage, why aren't you agreeing to uh, firearms ownership in Australia? Because it's funny how uh, we all know New Zealand banished their firearms registry in the mid-80s. We know they've got semi-automatics, pump actions, you name it, they've got it. Very similar laws to New Zealand. They do have a licensing system, but they don't have a registry, and they've still got all the same uh, firearms that you can buy in the USA. Now, in saying that, they, their last uh, massacre here was, uh, uh, there was one here, Mr., what was his name, Mr. Anderson, uh, Stephen Anderson. I'm just reading it here off the website, who... Uh, if I just scroll down here, we're just trying to... It's here. Anderson had been diagnosed two years. He was a 20... A paranoid schizophrenic. 
He was 24 when he ran a mark with a shotgun at his family's central North Island ski lodge on February 8, 1997. He killed six people, including his uh, 60-year-old father. And then the main one here was Aramona. If I can actually just scroll up here. Sorry, guys. Uh, David Gray. Uh, he killed 13 people and was shot dead in 1990, uh, 1990. He was 33 years old. His name was David Gray. He also included killing constable Stuart Guthrie. So, there's, so one of their main uh, massacres was 1990. And then again in uh, 1997 with Stephen Anderson, who killed six people. Now, the funny thing is they haven't had, or New Zealand has not had a massacre in over, uh, what was that, since 19... It was pretty much, okay, 1997, pretty much the similar time that we have, yet they have no registry, they have no uh, firearms uh, restrictions pretty much, just they do have a licensing system, but yet the Greens, they fail to understand. It's okay to get on there and say uh, the rights of gay marriage, but yet no one ever says anything about firearms laws. No one ever mentions New Zealand because, in fact, it doesn't actually go with their cause, which is you know, to get rid of all firearms in Australia. So it just makes me laugh when they talk about uh, that, you know, base, basic human rights for you know, certain same-sexes to get married, but yet on the same thing, they're happy to quote New Zealand, but as soon as it comes to firearms, ooh, they're also quiet about firearms in uh, uh, Australia and rarely never mention New Zealand. I just find it quite hilarious. But anyway, let's move on. We've got to get moving. So uh, check out the website. AustralianHuntingPodcast.com.au, the perfect place to go and uh, find out everything about the podcast, uh, previous shows, you name it. Uh, Facebook, please. Got almost 2,000 people there on Facebook, Australian Hunting Podcast. Check us out. Twitter, AH Podcast. Email me. I'd love to hear from you guys. I hear from everyone across the world. It's fantastic. AustralianHuntingPodcast.gmail.com. Download iTunes. Rate five stars. And please, if you're listening to this podcast right now, Jump on iTunes and leave me a comment. Get us up there. We're like easily in the top 50 now on the category of outdoors on iTunes. So fantastic for that. If you want to listen to us, you can download the Stitcher app for the Apple iPhone or the Android and listen to us through Stitcher. My business website, aussieferralcontrol.com.au and share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family. Always appreciate it. Uh, one of the sponsors to the show, Australian Hunters International. If you want to get your license, you're a new shooter, and you want to have a chat to people in the firearms industry that know what they're talking about, they can help you along, give you advice, please jump on ozhuntersinternational.org.au and you can join the club and they can certainly help you out. We've also got Naruma Hunt Fest. Don't forget, huntfest.com.au. Um, I think if I'm correct, it is on July 8th and 9th, two thousand. And 13, uh, down in the room, they're doing a great job down there. So if you want to go to a fantastic show, uh, you want to have a chat to people and see everyone that loves the hunting and the outdoors, jump on huntfest.com.au and check out the Naruma Hunt Fest. Donations through PayPal. If you jump on website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au, on the right-hand side there, there is a donations button. I appreciate all donations. This makes the show what it is today. And I do appreciate all listeners that uh, contribute to the show, contribute on the Facebook page, give me excellent emails about how they've become shooters and my podcast has helped them. Almost makes me tear up. Not really, but it makes me feel good inside and I appreciate, I do really appreciate everyone that listens to the show. Uh, like anyone, you get haters, but you know, getting haters makes me feel fantastic too because that way I know I'm doing something right. If someone's going to waste time coming emailing me some garbage, I feel fantastic because they wasted their time because I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep pushing forward, and we're going to have many, many more years to come on the Australian Hunting Podcast. So I guess what that's about it from me. Sorry for the long intro. 
I hope you enjoy this month's podcast. So let's rock this show. Without further ado, let's get into my interview, Advanced Bow Hunting with Adam Greentree. This is Adam Greentree. We're going to be talking about advanced bow hunting, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Adam Greentree, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Pleasure to have you on the show to chat to us today about uh, some advanced bow hunting techniques. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, absolutely, mate. So, I guess tell us about yourself for people who don't know who you are. Give us a bit of a rundown. Who is Adam Greentree? Well, I've uh, I was I was raised in the country. Obviously, my um my family travelled all around New South Wales when I was a young fella, and I suppose that's where uh, bow hunting and hunting comes into it as well, and just a passion for the outdoors. Um, I've got a young family now. I've got a wife. I've got uh, two boys and a young girl. Uh, we live in the beautiful seaside town of Newcastle. Uh, I own a con- construction company over in Western Australia. Sort of keeps me on my toes a bit. But um, I suppose while you're talking to me mainly today is because I've been bowing for the last 15 years and uh, a passionate outdoors person for probably the last 20, 25 Nice. I was going to say with the wife and kids, it must be hard to get out, get out bow hunting and take it up all your time. <laughs> oh, no, I've brought the wife around. She knows what I'm about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, half your luck. So, yeah, good stuff. So, tell, I guess tell the listeners how, and not only how, but why you got into hunting and especially hunting with a bow. And uh, as we just said, how long have you been bow hunting for? 15 years? Yeah, 15 years now I've been bow hunting, and I was a, I was a keen rifle shooter before then. Um I, I still remember me, uh, my my birthday present at five years old. Um, we were living out on a station near Elliston, and my father bought me a, a twenty-two, um, which I hunted uh, under his guidance with that rifle. And then, um, you know, mainly mainly uh, it was vermin control, really, um, on the property and, and stations that we were on. And I've also always said that um, bow hunting is you know, it's the hunting aspect, like fly fishing is a fishing, you know. Um, yeah, and, and I think my first bow was just a little fiberglass bow. You would you would never, you know, shoot anything with it except for a target. But, you know, the passion just sort of grew then. Um, and ever since that fiberglass bow, I think I was, uh, I think I was about 10 or 11 years old at the time. I've sort of just upgraded in bows ever since. And eventually got into a bow that was suitable for hunting and and ran with it from then but you know bow hunting's you know a lot of people always come to me and you know they're always asking about the kill and and stuff like that but bow hunting and hunting in general you know there's a lot of like-minded people the same that hunt with rifles and dogs and everything like that is that it takes you out to the outdoors you know and you get to see and experience you know mother nature and um you know, just that aspect of everything at its best. So yeah, no, no, good points. Uh, what also like, what is it about bow hunting? Why, like, I mean, did you were you always hunting with a bow, or were you like you, you started off just target shooting? Why, what, you, you just did do you target shoot with a bow now, or purely just hunting? Or no, look, I purely just hunt now. Um, the only target shooting I sort of do is practice for bow hunting. Um, look, I sort of just jumped into it. I, I remember going into the gun store. Uh, I was going to buy a shotgun, a 12-gauge shotgun, and there was a there was a, actually a compound bow sitting up on the wall, 
and there was an early edition of uh, Australian bow hunter in there. And on the front front cover of the magazine was a bloke with a bow and this massive big buffalo. And, you know, it really grabbed me just then, you know, like, you know, that's pretty amazing. I even think about it now. I've shot a few buffalo myself now and I even <laughs> think of it now, you know, like that's, yeah. that's pretty amazing, you know, that a bow can take down an animal of that size. So that, look, that was really appealing to me. And so I end up actually swapping one of my rifles and a bit of money on top. And I actually bought my first compound bow from the gun store when I was going in to buy a shotgun. So, yeah, look, I've never <laughs> turned back since. I actually haven't shot a rifle since. Oh, so you got the bug big time. I've got the bug big time. And, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the rifle hunters find find that bites pretty hard too. You know, if you're a passionate outdoors person, a passionate hunter, um, look, you can't really turn away from a bow. It grabs most blokes and they end up running with it pretty hard. Yeah, no. I, as I said, I've been interested in a while, and people have kept uh, emailing me. As I said before, you know, uh, off air, you know, uh, your, your name came up, and I already recorded sort of a a, a, a bow hunting podcast with a uh, from uh, one of the guys from the Game Council recommending someone, and he goes, well, "Why don't you get and do an advanced one and talk to Adam Greentree?" And I was like, "Who's Adam Greentree?" And then I've checked out your Facebook page, and I said, "Oh, geez, some excellent photos on your Facebook page, and that's for sure." Oh, thanks, mate. That's good. Yeah, uh, so I guess let's talk about mate your favourite kinds of species of animals to hunt. What what do you, what do you like to hunt? What's your, I guess what would you say your favourite is? Yeah, I hate answering this question because I could never <laughs> pick a favourite. Yeah. Uh, look, all the all the Australian species definitely have a you know they've all got a part of me heart. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I've got to say, after chasing um, Alaskan Yukon moose last year. I reckon I could go back and do that every month if I was able to. Uh, I, I yeah. saw the photos, unbelievable. Yeah, they are an amazing critter, that's for sure. You know, um, uh, you know, talk talk about antlers and the size of the animal, but you know, more so where they live and the environment that they're in. And look, they're such a big beast, and uh, you know, we spent six or seven days in a prime area just trying to get eyes on one of them. You know. You, you sort of wonder where they hide and where they go. But, look, moving away from overseas game, um, fellow deer back home in the mountains, in that mountain environment, just unreal, you know. Like every year I'm I'm tonguing for the open of the season every year to, to get up and chase a few. Um, but then, you know, we can go back to that bread and butter game. Like, you know, you can never pass up a fox hunt. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a really good pastime, whistling foxes and... Even the big old billies, you know, I love chasing those big old billies, trying to crack a 40-inch goat or something like that. And look, just those western hunts, as much as the animal, it comes down to the environment. You know, there's those outback hunts are just unreal. Would you say any game, like, is harder to hunt than any other game? Would you say, like, you know, say goats would be, you know, easier to stalk in on than, say, deer, for an example, or...? Yeah, look, I think it, I think it all depends on where you're hunting and what pressure they've got on them and... You know, the area they're in, obviously, um, the terrain and things like that. But, uh, I don't know, hands down, hands down, one of the deer species. Um, which one? It's a bit hard, you know. Like, the Samba are difficult. They're in hard terrain down there, and they're always in the thick stuff, which makes them a bit ho- bit hard. Um, your hog deer, you're very limited to your hog deer, but... You know, as far as switched on, oh, I don't know, maybe a chittle. 
<laughs> Maybe a tittle deer, you know, it is, it's yeah. a hard one. Look, the next animal that slips away from me, I'll, I'll tell you that species. <laughs> All right, let's, let's talk about gear, you know. We're talking about advanced stuff. So what, I guess what type of bow, you know, does Adam Green tree own and what can you tell us about it? And is this important in, in, in turning, you know, from, say, if you started off with a, you know, say a low to middle range bow to take it up to the next level? Yeah, look, I think um, no one should be turned off the sport because of uh, their income or what money they've got to spend on a bow. But, look, definitely the, the better bit of kit that you can buy, you know, you get your money's worth with bowing just like anything else. But, look, I use a I use a Hoyt, a Hoyt brand bow. It's the Carbon Matrix G3. That's the one that um, just came out this year. It's a beautiful bow. They're really light. They're as, they're as tough as anything, and uh, they're deadly accurate. Um, it's a full carbon riser bow, so that's what makes it really light. If um, a lot of my hunts are hiking hunts and things like that, so look, you cut down on weight on everything else, and then you carry a heavy bow around the bush, sort of doesn't make sense. So, look, the the Hoyt bows, they're they're an excellent bow. Um, they've got a range range of bows in different prices, but you know the bow is only ever as good as the the guys the guy behind it and the amount of practice that he's going to put into it. Um, yeah, look, there's, there's a mile of good bows out, you know, that it's just, a, there's a ton of good bows out on the market actually today. Um, yeah. yeah, price, look, price range can come into it a bit. As I said, you do get what you're paid for. Um, but you know, look, if you've, if you've got, if you've only got 400, $500 to go out and buy a bow, well, you know, I guarantee you that bow will kill the same as any other bow. Mm, good stuff. Is there any? Well, let's let's get on to add-ons. Let's say, is there any you know add-ons or equipment upgrades that you could put on a bow that would elevate a hunter's you know success with a bow? Look, there definitely is. There definitely is. But um, in saying that, you know, for your compound bow, there's a heap of upgrades you can put onto it. Um, but you know, there's a lot of traditional bow hunters out there where that's simply you know, a timber bow or a fiberglass bow and a string, and that's about all there is to that bow, you know. And, and those guys are as good as hunters as anyone with any bow, you know, yeah. coming down coming down to what practice that you've put into the bow. But, you know, to stick to the question, and we'll just talk about the compound bow, obviously. Yep. Uh, there definitely is. Look, you can put a sight on that bow, um, which means, you know, with a bit of practice, every time you're going to pick that bow up, if you put that sight, on the game that you're after at the right range, you know, then you should hit that, should hit that animal mm. in that same spot. You know, you can walk out to the practice range and, and shoot, shoot and keep consistently hitting the same mark. So look, you can put a side on, there's little things that you can have on that side as well. I've currently got um, a shore lock side on mine and it's got what they call a retainer lock. And that retainer lock is like a peep site actually on the site so now you've got two points to make sure that you're holding the bow correctly in in the correct form mm. and the same spot every time you know so it's taken a little bit of the human error out of it again um you know you can look there's custom strings that you can put on bows i put winner's choice strings on all of my bows um they're a really good string and they definitely increase the performance um of the bow um Look, there's a mile of different rests. Uh, probably the most popular rest going is um, like a fall away rest, where once once the arrow has been launched, 
the whole rest actually moves out of the path of the arrow, so there's no contact with Fletcher's, and mm. you get perfect arrow flight, you know. Um, a huge advantage on a compound bow, I believe, is the bow quiver, where, you know, you might carry five to eight arrows right on the bow with you. So, you know, that means limited movement when you have to go for an arrow, if, it, if an animal's in view or, or it's looking at you. Um, you know, whereas back in the day, everyone was wearing side quivers or back quivers and you had that full arm movement mm. to, mm. you know, retrieve an arrow and put an arrow on the bow. So you're caught out in the stalk and you don't have an arrow or you're going for a second shot. Um, silences, which quieten the bow, which is very important with deer hunting, um, along with dampeners as well on the bow. So they take a lot of the noise out of the bow and, and the shock, which is producing more noise and carrying noise. Um, they're huge with deer hunting because uh, in, in bow hunting, we've got a saying, you know, like deer jumping the string, where it's not, the deer is actually not jumping the string, it's dropping to go to jump to get the spring in its legs. And, you know, we've looked over countless hours of video in slow motion of deer as the shot's taken, you can actually see the deer dropping to the shot. And that, that, so the arrow goes high or over the top of the animal. So silencers, you know, they're definitely, uh, you know, well, getting your bow silence is um, definitely helpful. Yeah, and, and if they go to a reputable, say, dealer that sells bows, they can, you know, set them up on the right, you know, way to go, like, you know, fit them out for a bow, get them started with the right gear. Yeah, definitely, they definitely can, especially if you're stressing that you want to use that for hunting. But, um, you know... To anyone listening that wants to go out and buy a bow, you know, do your research. Um, if you have a chance, maybe join the um, bow hunting forum. Uh, there's a lot of information over there, and enjoy, join your club. Um, you know, you'll get a mile of information out of those members that could save you a good buck, and you get the right setup straight away. Yeah, good stuff. Let's talk about some arrows, mate. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're probably highly contestable amongst bow hunters. But what, in your opinion, what's the best type? Uh, of arrow and uh, head to use when hunting with a bow so obviously just hunting only not for targets yeah look um it, it, this can vary in species you know if a guy's going over to africa to shoot a cape buffalo then he's going to step generally step the weight of his arrow up and probably the size of his broadhead um i've sort of got my own little recipe that i can use across the board and it's been very successful on buffalo and you sort of name it um even if you're hitting bone when you're when you're taking down game, you know, um, carbon arrows, you know, hands down carbon arrows are just sensational. We all used to use, um, wood arrows or aluminium arrows and you'll constantly bending arrows or breaking arrows. And look, you do break a few <laughs> carbons, but carbons are, yeah, you know, it's, it's a big advance in, um, bow hunting once they brought carbon arrows out. So now what's become very popular is these um, slim shafts, like they're an ultra diameter shaft. So it means you've got more drag when you're trying to get pass through on an animal or anything like that. So I'm actually using the, the Victory VPA V1 shafts. Um, yeah, and they're awesome. They're, they're really strong. They're a real thin diameter shaft. Yep. Um, and then... I use a fairly big broadhead. It's a it's a VPA penetrator. It's a 150 grain broadhead, um, and it gives the arrow a high fock, which is forward of center on the shaft. So if you can imagine, you know, like a 
how a dart's built. The back of a dart's really light and the head's really heavy, but they always fly sweet, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> so it's very similar on these shafts that I shoot. You know, I give them that, that weight forward of centre and uh, it just takes a lot of, can take a lot of error out of the, the shaft, you know, and, and they do. They just fly beautifully. You can just see the very back of them when they're in flight. And like I mentioned, I've even, um, oh, look, that big moose that I shot, um, I took the rib on the forward side and the rib on the exit side on that moose and that, that arrow just blasted straight through that moose. Um, and I shot three buffalo um, late last year it was and I got three pass-throughs on three buffalo using that same same shaft. So, yeah, look, look, they, they do, they fly beautifully and that's a, that's a good setup, you know, but everyone's different, you know. It, you know, most blokes are shooting... Um, a 25 grain less weight head than I would be shooting and some are even shooting 50 grains less and still have an excellent result you know but they might weight their carbons up like I said when they're chasing buffalo or big game yeah no ex- excellent I see mate often you're using a fully kitted out mountain bike to get around and hunt from tell us about it how does it help your hunting and what other types of equipment have you used in the past to to locate game or hunting spots yeah, look, the, the bike's a ton of fun, um, except, <laughs> except when you come off, of course, which has happened a few times, trying to ride it probably where I shouldn't. But um, look, at the, the bike's excellent in covering a heap of, uh, I shouldn't call it dead ground, but, you know, covering a lot of the ground that generally doesn't have any game in it, you know, once, especially once you get to know your hunting spots, you know, you hunt there a dozen times or whatever, you, you soon find out where the game's hanging and where it's not. So, look, the bike's really good for getting the most out of your hunting, but at the same time, it's silent. You know, it rolls across the ground nearly quieter than I walk, I think. So, look, the, yeah, the bike goes, the bike does go great. It's a heap of fun and it's good, pretty good exercise at the same time. Um, but it is limited, you know. I had one hunt there not so long ago where I think I carried the bike for longer than I actually rode it. Uh, just, you know, the mountains were too too big and too rough to sort of ride it up. Um, but along the flats, it was excellent. I used it out in western New South Wales only last month, and it was really good for covering a lot of ground. And um, those couple of trips up in the mountains have been a lot of fun. Um, last year, we used canoes um, up and down some channel country. Yeah, that was good. That was really yeah. good, actually, because it's dead quiet, and a lot of the game just doesn't detect danger. Um when it's on the water or you know doesn't doesn't um recognize it as danger when it's on the water so it does allow you to get really close to animals and and cruise around nice and quietly um uh, look my forward drive is probably the best bit of kit that i've got uh, <laughs> yeah. spent a for, uh, small fortune on the forward drive that i've got and look at it, it's paid dividends in in getting up into the mountains in the wet or you know running through that western country and that black soil country um i've used quads i've used tinnies and you you sort of name it i've sort of (laughs) tried to use it but uh look probably the best use of um the best use of some equipment was probably over in uh, northwest territory same coming back to that moose hunt where um you know it was two charter flights to get in there and then it was a helicopter flight to sort of drop you into the position where you where you started hiking from you know that the the extremes that they go to over there. You know to to get you into those those quiet spots, those elusive spots is yeah, it's unreal. So 
Yeah, I've tried to use a bit of all of it. Uh, good stuff, man. Let's say, give us four or five things uh, that a bow hunter could learn or do that would elevate their success and take them from, say, you know, an average bow hunter with average success to considerably, say, advancing their bow hunting skills. Yeah, look, I reckon 90% of it comes from just spending time in the bush, you know, being out there and, and, and with the animals, with the environment. So, you know, know your game's ha- habitats. Um, know the kill zone of the animal they're hunting because it varies in animals, you know. Like if, you, 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 if you're used to deer hunting or pig hunting and then you go up the territory or, you know, that, up the Cape and um, try and shoot a scrub bull in the same spot, you know, there's going to be a fair bit of upset there probably between you and the bull at the end of the day. Uh, so know the kill zone of your animal you know it's a very important one you know with the internet today you can go on and look at all that stuff on the internet and and the other part of that is when you do harvest an animal and you've got it on the ground um you know open it up dissect it have a look have a look where these kill zones are you know fold the shoulder blade back have a look what sits under the shoulder blade fold the ribs back have a look what sits under the ribs you know, I, that's, a, that's a huge part because you can be as good as a shot as you like, but if you don't know where to shoot these animals, um, one, it's not ethical at all, and two, well, you're not going to be a very successful hunter, are you? No, that's true. Yeah, and um, so the third one would be, you know, I think this is an important one because this is part of being a successful hunter um, in my books is learn to recover the meat of the animal, learn the skin the animal, um, learn your trophy preparation if if you're a trophy hunter. You know, get get to get to learn all those things. You know, as you as you're going through it. Uh, number four, definitely practice practice at different angles, practice at different ranges. You know, it's it's very easy to walk up to the target button, sit, stand perfect, and take your shots. You know, you, you can become a good shot shot doing that but the second that you have to do a funny angle because you know deer's popped up behind you and you're not used to shooting on those angles or or not having um you, you know your legs in the right position and things like that you know i i track i practice sitting down I, I i you know i practice sort of leaning right around and shooting behind me um practicing the hunting gear that you wear when you're in the bush uh you know i i remember when all these 3d um camouflage suits were coming out and uh guys were going out and then the leaves on the camouflage suits were catching on their string as they were shooting because they hadn't practiced in what they're actually hunting with you know you'll look you look like a fool when you go up the archery club in your 3d suit but hey when you're out in the bush and you shoot, <laughs> shoot that big animal it's probably probably worth it and you know five the one that i mentioned earlier the biggest thing is just spending time in the bush you know it's not everyone has that luxury uh, but the more time you can spend in the bush, then the more you're going to know about the bush and the animals that live in it. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Good, good bits of advice there. So this is the question I wanted to ask, and I remember we spoke off here or on the on the questions that I had. You weren't sure, but what's your opinion? I said on on ethical kill shots. What's the maximum range for an ethical ethical kill shot? Do you think? And what I, what I said was recommended shots where holdover is important. As in, do you always aim? You're aiming exactly where you want to. Uh, obviously shoot or is it if it's beyond the distance you just won't shoot at all and meaning holding over mean holding over from you, know, you might be out at that too much of a distance where 
aiming, obviously the, the arrow is going to drop. So I guess my question is, what is a legal, or not legal, I should say, what is your ethical range that you would take a shot at? And do you ever hold over where you think you're going to shoot? Or no, you just, you're, in, you're within that range of the animal and you're aiming dead on. Yeah, look, it, it varies between each hunter and their equipment and how they're set up. Um, you know, each hunter should know his effective range. You know, mine's 60 metres. But in saying that, the whole idea of bowing is getting close, you know. So maybe 5% of my shots are between 50 and 60 metres. 95% of my shots would be 5 to 30 metres. I would say, you know, that it's, it's very rare that I'll take a shot out to that 50 or 60 metres. But some hunters are quite comfortable shooting probably most of their game at 60 metres. They practice, they're good at it. You know, but so it comes back to knowing your effective range, you know, like and, and you know, it only takes a, a shoot up the, the club or, you know, if you set a target up out in the bush, you'll know your effective range. You know, if if if, if you're not hitting sort of like, uh, let's just say a pie plate, you know, we're talking about a little meat pie here. We're not talking about a big apple pie, we're talking about <laughs> a little meat pie here. If you can't get a couple of arrows in that meat pie, you know at whatever distance it is and you need to shrink down your distance it's as simple as that you know we know we owe it to the game the animals that we're hunting you know to make sure that we're going to put in that effective shot so no i, I don't do any holdover shots if it's out past that distance it's out past that dim distance you know i know it's not the last animal i've ever i'm ever going to come across so yeah like i said you know most of my shots are five to thirty meters um, and the very rare shot is is 50 or 60 metres, you know, out in that mark. Mate, fantastic advice. I like that. Owe it to the game. Exactly. 100% right. I should Mate. probably add, add yep. to that as well, that another big part of it is waiting for that right angle um, on the animals. As much as getting into your effective distance, it's then getting to that distance and waiting for the angle to be right to to shoot that animal um bowers strive on double lung shots so the animal has to be broadside or basically broadside to get that shot um it was only uh what's what's the date today the 12th um it was only the first or second of march yeah it was the first of march it was opening season uh, myself and antonio lara are actually out chasing a few fellow deer up in the mountains and I closed the closed the gap beautifully on this big buck. You know, I was I was pretty anxious to um, shoot him and get him on the deck because he was he was a good deer. Uh, and I sat behind him at I think it was 15 or 16 meters for about 10 minutes, just waiting for him to angle on right so I could get a shot into the vitals. And uh, you know, this is this is a big part of the risk of waiting, but it's obviously worth it because you don't want to wound that animal. He end up just looking straight over his back and spotting me and and shot off and never never even looked like giving me a shot so but you know that's all part of it and it makes the next one when i do get it that much better so adam let's talk about mate either advanced camouflage or is it important and what can bow hunters do yeah that little bit extra to ensure more success so is it important or not because i know i've spoken to a lot of people over about 34 or 33 34 episodes and a lot of people say different things depending on you know what game they're hunting so what, what's your take on camouflage Oh, look, I think it's very important. Um, you know, you can get away without camouflage. There's no doubt about it. I've done it, you know, a heap of times myself. But I've also noticed a difference when you're not in camouflage, how much quicker game reacts. So say you're all camouflaged up and you're sitting in the bush, that animal of a lifetime walks past you 
it sort of gets a glimpse of you, but they're not 100% sure. That could just give you those few more seconds, or it could turn into hours longer to get a shot off. When you're not in camouflage, I've noticed that animals react a lot quicker. So, you know, it's just pulling that bit of a blanket over their eyes, I suppose, to allow you to get that shot away a bit quicker, to get that shot away before they actually shoot off. Um, so look, I'm a big believer in camouflage and I remember Dave Whiting, Dave Whiting's like a, a bow on from back in the day and he's still going as hard as he can, but you know, there was never any camouflage around when he started bow hunting he used to always hunt this same rabbit warren and, uh, you know, he could only ever get sort of, you know, 30, 40 meters away from this rabbit warren and all the rabbits would shoot off, you know, it was a regular hunt of his and then he, he got a bit of camouflage and uh, the next time he hunted it, or the next few times he hunted it, he was able to get in and just close that gap that much more. And over those next couple of hunts, he always got rabbits and he was always getting closer. And that was the, that was the first use of camouflage that, that, I, that I sort of know of with a bowner. And, and it obviously worked. worked so. Do yeah, you look, go the face mask and that? Do you do the whole, the whole kit and caboodle or...? Yeah, it depends what mood I'm in, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, look, I, I, I do try to, um, especially with the deer hunting, the face mask, you know, I'll even wear a light pair of gloves, um, you know, but, but, you know, as important as the camouflage is movement and the scent when you're bow hunting, you know, you can have as good a camouflage as you like, but if you move in front of an animal, well, the game's up. So, you know, it's, it's compo- combining all of those, you know, the good camouflage, knowing when to move and always being in the right wind, you know, that's going to gonna allow you to use your camouflage for starters, you know. If, if the wind's wrong or you're moving too much, you're not going to get to use your camouflage in front of an animal's eyes anyway. But the camouflage that, the camouflages that work really well is there's those 3D suits that I spoke about earlier, which, which break your ha- whole outline up. Um, and then there's the 2D camouflage, but the 2D camouflage that has really good breakup properties to sort of break up, um, you know, your your body, your blob. I'm not calling anyone fat, but I'm just saying your body blob. You know, if you can break that up and it blends into the trees, and hey, it's obviously got to work for you, doesn't it? Yeah, no, good advice, mate. The next one I think is a huge one. This one was always interesting to me because I've been out hunting. You know, I've been hunting goats and, you know, sometimes I walk and you can't, you know, and this is areas where they've never sort of never really been targeted that much and you can't get within cooey within the big ones. But then some of the other ones I've literally, you know, pulled up on the side of the road, you know, pulled out, pulled the, you know, the firearms and the ammo out of the separate boxes, walked over within 30 metres and it's game over. So I guess what I'm saying is let's talk about the stalking techniques and what does it take to be a good stalker? Because I've been out and, you know, I'm behind a tree and then, you know, you hear that little twig sound. You're like, oh, and then they, they look up and they're just staring at you. Sometimes I think, you know, what, what, are they seeing me? Are they looking right at me? And then they might put their head down for another bit of a, thi- a bit of a, you know, chew on the grass or whatever it may be. And then they look up again. And I'm like, how, how is it, is stalking an art? Because I can imagine, you know, like, especially depending on also fitness might come into this too and being patient. How do you get in within, like, as you said, 16 meters within a deer without, you know, stepping on a twig or a a leaf how do you do it man it's amazing yeah look it's a combination of things you know we've spoken about a few of them already you know it's knowing your animal um 
you know, particularly with the deer, you know, you've got to spend a lot of time on just that species. I'm not talking about all the species of deer. I'm talking about spending a lot of time on each species to get to know that animal and its habitats and the area that it's in, you know, because that can change from area to area. Um, you know, I've hunted the fellow deer down south and they they carry on a fair bit different than these ones up here in the ma- mountains, you know. Um, you know, so it's been a lot of time and, and getting to know that animal and its habitats. You know, I always remember with goats, um, you know, that was sort of my bread and butter hunting when I started. It, t- it took a fair while, but you f- soon enough you get to sort of figure out the goats, you know, and you'd see one goat's head go down and that head goat's head goes down the feed. I guarantee you another goat's head comes up and it's keeping a look around, you know, especially those nannies, you know, those nannies are good at that. And deer are, <laughs> deer are very much the same, you know, like a, a deer can have its head down feeding in the grass and I guarantee it's still keeping an eye on your direction. If something doesn't feel right, it's keeping an eye on your direction. But I think a lot of people would be surprised at how many deer, um, you know, if the wind's swirling or changing, um, you know, I've seen it a ton of times myself, you know, a, a deer will be 100, 200 metres away and the wind goes down the valley and comes back up the valley and, and hits those deer from just say the, the um, northern direction right and you're south of the deer those deer will look south at you those deer know know the wind directions and they'll look back at you you know that's that's one thing that's always freaked me out about deer you know they're they're unreal there's no doubt about it but you know we're talking some animals are just different than others some are more switched on they're usually the ones you want because they're big and old and they're you know i'm a fair fairly much a trophy hunter myself mm. um i'm looking for those big and old animals and they generally are the wisest but there is times when you can just walk straight out there and walk straight onto them there's no doubt about it but you know most of those big ones aren't going to let you do that there's no doubt about it but yeah, you know going, going. going going back to the stalking you know it's a combination it's it's knowing your animals it's um knowing how to quietly stalk you know, and it's you're keeping your you're keeping the eyes on the animal at all times, but every now and then you're just dropping down. And you're having a look what's right in front of your feet. You know, so you're not stepping on those sticks. So you're moving around those sticks. It's been slow. It's been patient. You know that many many bowhunters, and I'm sure many many rifle hunters have have as well. You know, you know you can have a stalk eight nine hours. Um, Wow. Yeah, look, when I was over in wow. Northwest, Northwest Territories, there was uh, 16 hours of daylight. You know, you're prepared. When you come across that right animal that you're looking for, you're prepared to spend 16 hours stalking that animal if that's what it takes. You know, and sometimes it's just not the day to stalk that animal. They're in the wrong position or something like that. So you've got to walk out of there without, stalk, without spooking that animal and come back and have a look at him tomorrow and see where he is tomorrow. You I know, can, it's, I can it, imagine it's it takes a lot that. of patience. It does. It's taken that taken that risk as well, you know. Um, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I shot a big red deer a couple of years ago. Um, for for any of the trophy hunters out there, he's about three hundred and fifty nine Douglas points. He's uh, eight by nine. So you know, he's a big deer. That's sort of a once in a lifetime deer. It's not something that you sort of you want to risk with a bad stalk. So the the first time I seen him. He walked walk right out into the open and sort of chased chased uh, fourteen hinds away, and um, you know I sort of I got got so far over there and I thought I was in for the right stalk. He had his had his antlers down in the the mud, sort of raking the mud and everything with his antlers. He was keeping occupied and everything, so I thought I was in a good position to to get in and have a crack at him. 
And by the time I sort of got over there to 70 or 80 metres, he was just completely in the wrong spot and about to disappear into some timber where I sort of wouldn't know where he was when I, once I started stalking him. It was, it was probably one of the hardest decisions I've made in bowing, I think. I actually had to turn around and walk, stalk out of there away from it. And then the next morning, I went back the next morning at the same time, um, hoping that he'd pop back up and he didn't show back up. So I sort of thought that was it. You know, there's a lot of country out there and those animals cover a lot of country. So, you know, at that point, I was thinking I was never going to see him again. And um, anyway, I stuck it out for three or four more hours and walked around and had a bit of a look. And uh, sure enough, he, he popped up on the mountain across from me. And I ended up getting a drop on him and getting getting him. But, you know, there's a, there's a number of times to, you know, wherever I've shot, shot good game, you know, it could be even weeks later after passing something up, waiting for that better stalk. But, yeah, that's part of the patience thing, I suppose, isn't it? Oh, man, I could just, sometimes I think I get the patience of, you know, come up against goats and I'm just like, oh, just I stop moving. They, you know, they're looking around and they're looking right at me and I've got like full, normally full camo on sometimes with a, you know, one of those backwards hat face masks with the eyes on them. Yeah, yeah. And I've got them in front of my face and my hands are covered because I do like to do a bit of fox calling and stuff like that. So I'm sort of always set up with, you know, my whole face is covered and they're just looking at me. I'm like... They see me, and then you know I've I've missed a couple of good sized billies because they always come out last, don't they? Down from the mountains sometimes, yep. and they're the first ones back up in there when they smell even a hint of trouble. And I've been like three, four hundred meters away for some some goats before, and I've I stepped on a stick and it cracked, and then boom, they'll you know they'll just gone back up into the mountain before I could even know. And at three hundred meters, or probably about yeah about 250, 300, I was like. Man, I don't know. How, I've got a lot of respect for the guys that you know do the stalking and 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 able to like get into fifteen meters on a deer or any any anything like that. I mean, is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Look, there's a. I think a lot of animals know their environment as well. So if you're a, if you're a new dark patch out in their environment where they're used to coming down walking, well, you know why why take the risk? Why would they take the risk? You know, it's just too easy for them to get up and go. You know, they're like they can run up those hills like there's nothing wrong with. Wrong with yeah, it, you right. know. Not like me. <laughs> <laughs> Not like me. Uh, Let's talk about, mate, release aids versus non-release aids. Is it important, and how does it affect your hunting? Are they required, and does it help? Yeah, look, I don't think they're. I don't really think release aids are that important. I use one myself, and I have for the last six or seven years, and I love it. Um, the pro with using a release aid is you consistently get the same release every time. Unlike fingers, it can take a lot of practice um, and good form to get the same release with fingers time after time. Um, but when release aids first come out, they're really slow because you actually had to clip them on in in some way or another. You actually had to clip them on, and I hated release aids. And the first time I hunted with a release aid, I actually got rid of it because it actually uh, cost me cost me a shot at a feral cat or two because it wasn't quick enough when these feral cats were popping up. Mm. Um, so I steered away from the release aid. Um, but then, you know, I also, once I steered away from the release, I, I did realize that it wasn't as accurate. Um, and, and it's like with anything, you know, you get to a point and you, you get so good and, you know, you, you need to do, you need to change something up to be better, to get better at what you're doing. So, you know, if you become a really good shooter with fingers and then went to a release aid, then, you know, it would improve your shooting. Uh, to what point would probably be hard to measure, but it would improve your shooting. Um, so yeah, so release aids are really quick now though. They've, they they make them in a hook form, so it's like an open hook, which just clip hooks straight onto your string or a, a little um, release loop that's on your string. 
Yep. Um, and like I said, it's right there. I, I only use the wrist type that straps to your wrist, so it's always there. Um, they're really quick and they're just consistent. You get the same release shot after shot. But you know, none of your none of your traditional hunters that are using um, recurves or longbows uh, uh, are using release age. You know, those guys are all fingers like myself when I'm shooting traditional. Mm. Um, it's all fingers. It's quick and it's an instinctive shoot. And and one of the big reasons why I'm uh, why I traditional bow hunt at times is because you know it's back to being traditional. You know, uh, it's back to doing it. You know how it was done since you know the the age of bows so you know string fingers away you go good stuff uh, someone sent me a through a message on facebook when i was asking them for sort of questions they said paper tuning is it a myth is there any truth to it and if you do what tuning do you do Can you tell us what it is and if you do any or not yeah so paper tuning for me is just just a starting point um you know you can shoot absolute bullet holes for a bit of paper uh, but then go out on the course and start shooting targets and you'll probably have to um, change either your knocking point or your rest rest height. Um, so paper tuning sort of just just pulling everything down, but it's not that super tuning that you're really after in bow hunting, especially with today's bows, you know. Today's bows really do need super tuning. So what I do, super tuning, um, I'll go through and I'll check all the measurements on the bow make sure everything's in sync and parallel running to get eat with each other. Um, I'll do that paper tuning to try and find the rest point and the knocking point. Um, but then I'll do walk back tuning. Um, you know, where you sort of shoot really close to the target and you move your way back. Um, but probably my, my favorite and the quickest one that I do is I'll actually stand about three meters from the target. This is with a bow with sights. And um, I'll take a shot using the 50-meter pin on the bow at three meters. And then I'll walk all the way back to 50 meters, and I'll take that same shot. And, and what it does is when, when you're right up on the target, you move your rest. And when you're right back at that 50 meters, you move your sight. And then eventually that, that just all comes together, and it's beautiful. So is that easy for someone to do as a beginner or is that something the uh, shops could do? A, as, a, as a beginner, as a beginner, the shops should actually be, be paper tuning the bows or getting certain to, to a you know certain level anyway. And that's generally what they do is just the, the paper tuning. That's if you're buying a bow with the, the rest and everything on it, you know, and those shops going to cite your, cite your bow in or, or anything. If you're not getting the package from them, you know, it'd be pointless because they're just going to take that rest off when they sell you the bow so if you're buying a, a package from the bowling store or any of the archery stores yeah look they should tune it into a point but you know one of the advantages of of joining the club is you know there's a mile of guys with all that information you know they've 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 already tested all that and and you know reinforce that it works so you know if you can join a club that's going to be the best place that you can tune a bow um, there's a mile of information online about paper tuning and um, super tuning, walk back tuning, um, yeah, all all of that sort of stuff. Good stuff, so with, mate. Oh, sorry, go with on. With a bow, you could touch on it. You know, with a bow, it does depend on the brand of bow as well. You know, uh, the different cams, like even the brands have different cams. You know, um, you know they all need different different tuning techniques to get them to a certain point. You know, when you can do that super tuning, 
Um, the Hoyt bows, uh, you know, that, that, well, I consider them one of the easiest bows to tune. Um, you do need a bow press to do it, but no, look, they're, they're very easy to tune. I know, I was looking at it before and I was looking at a couple of bows the other day and I'm thinking, you know, I'm keen to get my first deer this year actually because I never had the opportunity. So I'm heading out in a couple of weeks and I mean, we'll, we'll be with the rifle, but I don't know, bow hunting seems interesting. Uh, I'd like to give it a go at, at some stage over the next year at least to, to give it a go because I can imagine I like to call in foxes and it can be difficult just, uh, you know, shooting them sometimes, you know, with a rifle. They might run in quick, so you need, you know, you could use a shotgun, but bow hunting sounds like, you know, it's uh, something I wouldn't mind getting into, that's for sure. I know a lot of people expressed interest in, you know, having you on the show to talk about it too. Oh, mate, you've got to have a crack. You know, you've absolutely got to have a crack. I, I, I guarantee you, you'll love it. There's no doubt about it, you'll love it. <laughs> That's the problem. I've, got, I've already got too many you know, yearly memberships here, there, clay target clubs, you know, rifle clubs. Uh, it's crazy, you know what I mean? But, mate, two questions to finish off. Mate, I want to hear, give me, uh, emphasising the stalking part too, because I do like that. One, one of your best ones, say, one of your best stories, mate, uh, that sticks in your mind, you know, whether it be a trophy animal or just something that happened and on a hunt uh just yeah give us a good story that the listeners might be able to you know say relate to and, and enjoy ah oh, this is another one of those ones where i just can't choose you know like <laughs> there's there's so many good animals out there you know and look i'm very respectful for the animals that i've shot and and what i've hunted you know so i sort of all i want to give them all a wrap but since i've spoken about this um this northwest Territories um alaskan yukon moose hunt a fair bit yep I'll just touch on that moose, you know. And, sure, absolutely. Um, I'll figure that might be your one you'd hit anyway. Yeah, I was actually yeah. going to say that. <laughs> yeah, look, it is. Um, you know, probably what was so appealing there was just it was so remote, you know, like we were, we were truly out in the middle of nowhere. I was one-on-one with a guide, um, you know, in that area, the Northwest Territories of, of Canada, you know, legally you have to hunt with a guide if you're you you know if you're an international hunter so it was just one-on-one with a guide and i was very lucky that i got a that i got got a guide that was real passionate about his hunting and and very patient and stuff like that because i hadn't had a lot of bow hunters over there but um you know we spent six days sort of you know 16 hours a day for six days climbing up in the mountains and glassing and um looking for these moose that you know i was starting to think didn't exist except for the hoof prints and stuff that i'd seen in the in the ground on the river but um on on the seventh day you know a couple of moose um called out and the rut sort of kicked in and there was moose popping up everywhere and uh we we glassed from on the top of this pinnacle for about three hours and found a big moose you know like i said i'm a trophy hunter you know so i was looking for that big moose and uh, we seen one that we thought would have been up around the 60 inches, but he just had a heap of palm and character about him. Uh, I think it, it took us about three hours to sort of get to where he was hiking. Wow. And we, we got over there and the wind was swirling and we tried calling him and a younger moose actually come in and that, that, <laughs> was, that was pretty exciting. Like he, he was planning on coming over and trampling us into the ground, I can assure you. And then um, we end up talking our way out of that by waving some paddles around, which are just uh, thigh bones of uh, other moose. Um, the Sorry, the shoulder bones of other moose. Like, you know, you, you carry them around and they're really dry and they sound like a, a moose's antler scraping on a tree. And um, so we sort of held that up in the air and we, we pushed him off and it was it was all happening and there was grizzly bear tracks in the sand there and, 
you know, it was just, yeah, look, it was, it was absolute hunt of a lifetime. And, you know, it just, as quick as it was happening, it seemed to end, you know, the wind swirled and there was no moose to be seen or heard. And it, you know, it just, just wasn't happening. And, um, I was, I sort of felt like giving up at that point, you know, it'd been a big trip. We'd had a, we'd had a blizzard of snow there and, um, you know, all those 16 hour days were sort of catching up, you know, and I was kept saying to myself, you know, don't give up, don't give up, you know, got to, got to keep going. And look, we kept searching and we just sat down to sort of recuperate and maybe have something to eat and drink and think of our next step. And I just, just heard something up in the scrub behind us and, uh, the buyer and the guide, he started raking on that paddle on a tree and, and, uh, this moose replied and, uh, they do the, they do the awesomest grunt, you know, it just blows straight through you when these things do this grunt real aggressive. And, um, I started stalking up in there and I did a couple of calls back to him and the guy just sort of stayed back behind me. He had the video camera actually. And, uh, you know, I could hear this moose coming and he's grunting and it really does that sound just pounds straight through you, you know. And the next minute he just, he just popped up right in front of me. He was probably 15 metres away and walking straight at me. And, you know, I just tried to compose myself a bit and, you know, I started thinking about where I wanted to hit that animal to bring him down quickly. And uh, I drew back and looked by the time I drew back and picked a spot between the trees where he was going to come, he was only at four or five metres. And... uh I, I just had, you know, the arrow absolutely cracked him, you know. It ran, or actually, the moose ran between myself and the guide, you know, and the guide's got nothing on video. He just absolutely pissed himself. He sort of turned around the camera and started running in another direction. I don't blame him, you know. This thing ran past me. It was like a big umbrella going over the top of my head. It's endless. <laughs> anyway, the guide, he, he didn't even know if I'd hit it or what was going on. Anyway, I, I come back to him and he's like, did you get it? And I said, yeah, bloody oath I got it. You know, it was, I felt like shooting an elephant with antlers. This thing, yeah, we end up finding him. He's probably travelled about 60 metres and went down and just, you know, abs- absolute beast, you know. But as as thrilling as shooting shooting that animal was uh, removing all the meat. You know, that's their law over there. They've got a they've got an awesome law actually. Um, you have to remove all the meat off the animal. And, uh, you know, that, that was the second half of the adventure, you know, those six days and getting to that moose and actually getting that moose on the ground was only half of it. We then had to recover all that meat and get it out to a position where a helicopter could fly in with a net and actually take it away. Wow. Um, yeah. So the helicopter come in that actually took two days to recover, cover the animal. And uh, once you put an animal on the ground there, you're sort of on fairly high alert because it brings the grizzlies in and. Um, we'd seen about a 900 pound grizzly just hunting around camp a few times so yeah it was fairly on edge and um, I still had a couple of days up my sleeve so we went caribou mountain caribou hunting after that and uh, that was just as big as adventure as well you know chasing them mountain caribou they just live up in some of the craziest country they'll just walk off sheer sheer rock faces of mountains straight down that mountain Amazing, isn't it? I've heard that yeah, the, the moose too can be, especially during the you know, breeding season, and that they can be very aggressive, can't they? They're big, they're big animals. I mean, they can really screw you up, you know. Oh, they're definitely, definitely. Um, look, uh, once I was moose hunting, they had a few other clients there from um, oh, around the world that were coming in, and my my moose was the only moose that come in with uh, uh, unbusted antlers. Every other moose that come in come 
come through. They had full holes blown through their antlers where where they'd been fighting with other moose and clashing, you know. And hey, they they are a, they're an amazing animal. They are an amazing animal, you know. Like I said, I'm very appreciative to be able to go out and hunt something like that, and, and, and you know, to, and to get one and yeah, something I'll always cherish for the rest of my life. So. Mate, thanks for sharing the story with us. You know, I know the I've had friends. I got a few Canadian friends and a few American friends, and the ones up in Canada say, "Yeah, they can be. You know, you don't you don't want to. You know, during the season, they can really, really do some bad things. You know, if you because they're big. How, how much they weigh? I think how much did your did you didn't end up weighing it, or you couldn't weigh? It? I guess it was too uh, big, probably. We couldn't weigh it, but you know, it was it was a fair few of me anyway. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. All right, mate. Just to finish off, I said if people wanted to, you know, ask any more questions or they want to get in contact with you, you know, website or Facebook or emails. What's how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, look, probably the best thing to do is look me up on Facebook, um, Adam Greentree Bowening Australia, uh, um, and you can message me on there. And there's a heap of me photos and stuff like that on there that people can go on and have a look at. So yeah, let me just attest, there's some brilliant photos on there. That's for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mate, I appreciate you coming on the show to have a chat with us about some advanced, uh, you know, bow hunting tips for the listeners. I'm sure they'll be able to, you know, use this information, you know, you know go out confidently when, uh, you know, I guess going on their next bow hunting trip and hopefully use some of what you've discussed tonight to be able to, you know, get them on the, get them up and onto the next level and get them in closer to that animal and hopefully, you know, have some great success. So thanks for coming on the show, Adam. I pretty appreciate it and. I hope to see more photos on your, your uh, Facebook page very soon. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Thanks, Jason, for having me on and giving me the opportunity. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.